We are now in 2 Timothy. We took a break for Easter and uh, Palm Sunday and a break for last week for us to talk about what happens after Easter. This week, 2 Timothy. It's quite a different book from 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul gave Timothy instructions on how to organize church life and gave him strict commands to keep love front and center of every teaching and action all the time. But in this book, something has changed. Some believe that it is Paul's situation that has changed, and that colors the, the tone of the book, and that does make sense. For you see, Paul could see his coming death. He's in prison, and he knows that he's probably not going to get out of it this time. The execution is on its way. And he feels a need to communicate, and you can put this in all caps if you'd like, the most important things to Timothy before he passes. That's a very natural thing. Paul does want Timothy to know what he needs to know to live on without Paul. One of the hardest things it was for us as young parents, uh, that was a long time ago, uh, as young parents to realize that our job was to train our children to go on without us. And that's always hard. Some of you remember what it was like when you finally took them and you dropped them off at, uh, at university and you had to drive away and that haunting feeling, I didn't say enough. I didn't do enough. They're not ready for this. That's where Paul is. But Paul has spotted something about Timothy. And that's what we really want to focus in on today. Something that needs worked on. Timothy comes from good stock. His mother and grandmother were both believers and Paul thinks very highly of them. But there's no mention of a father. There's no mention of a grandfather. And perhaps that was related somehow into this, but Timothy had never really been taught how to step forward as a man and not be timid. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul keeps bringing up, don't be timid, step up, it's your turn. That's an amazing aspect of the book that most people just jump right over. Now, don't get me wrong, women step up, women step forward, but we're talking here about a particular individual who seemed to have had no male leadership in his life until Paul took him on later on in his development, and so Paul is trying to catch up with it, and he's not saying, we need to go to a men's retreat, or we need to go to a men get in touch with your father figure thing, and you'll go out and paint ourselves blue and beat drums in the forest thing. He's saying, you need the Jesus story and you need to be strong in who you are in Christ. Remember the list last week. You need to be strong in who you are in Christ. It's often fashionable to bash the need for fathers, but the facts are the facts. Boys without men are in greater danger in many, many spheres. In society, those raised without a, a father present uh, make up, a, and the figures vary according to who's compiling the figures, between 30 and 35% of the population. Our prison population is made up of nearly 90% who were without fathers. Fathers are important. Fathers play a part. And regardless of how much we try to act like the government can step in or somebody else can step in, male father figures are required. Fathers tend to have the ability to get quite a lot out of their sons. So Timothy needed a bit of a push, and Paul was there to supply it. 
And he had to get it done because Paul's time was running out. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent out this message to all of his people. The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. And as I've told you before, and I didn't make it up, I heard it from somebody somewhere back down through my life, we are living sacrifices, but the tendency of a living sacrifice is to crawl off the altar. We've got to make sure of who we are and where we are. Remember the first question God asked human beings, where are you? We need to remember where we are. And then last week, we need to remember who we are. What kind of timidity are we talking about here? Just being shy? Being a loner type or something? No. There's a particular type of timidity here. The timidity which Christians tend to... Every, we, just, we, we get trapped by this. We tend to allow the world to define right and wrong, success and failure, power and lack of power. We tend to let the world set the definitions and we just go along with it. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's not a recruitment poster. You know, recruitment posters are come and learn computer science. Well, we will let people shoot at you, but, uh, well, you know, we, we do these kind of, you know, look at the pretty uniforms, you know, that sort of thing. He's saying, you know, you're going to suffer for this. It's time for you not to be ashamed of Jesus and not to be ashamed of me, Paul. We'll talk about that in a minute, but just remember this. The world measures success in a boringly predictable way. Sex Money, power, fame. To them, that's success. And that's what they worship. I've had people ask me, well, why is it in, in third world countries, do you hear a lot of talk about demons and you see a lot of things that could be explained by demonic work, but in America, you don't really hear that much talk or see that much. And I, my response is because in America, demons don't have to hide. In America, they're worshiped on billboards and in our television, and in our movies, and their demons are worshipped, the demons of sex, and power, and money, and fame. That's, they're out there. They don't need to hide. Paul asked Timothy to toss all that away. You can't be timid and do that, but reject what the world offers. Reject. Have, have, a, have a whole different set of achievements even if it is the achieving of suffering for the cause of Christ. Aim for that. If you've not suffered, perhaps it's because you've not risked. And Paul will talk about that in a bit. But many of the aspects of this new faith are diametrically opposed to the world. Chris Barnhill uh, talked here um, um, as he was leading us into giving. that He said that Jesus spoke a lot about giving. In fact, 
he spoke more about giving than he did any other subject, more about the way we treat the poor and the way we handle our resources than any other single subject. It's important to him. And so, think about this. Can you be timid and believe that you are not measured by what you accumulate, but rather by what you give? The world measures you by what you accumulate. Listen to a politician. They'll tell you what all they've done, what all they've got. God says, serve quietly. You're not, do not accumulate because you're not measured by what you keep, but by what you give. Do not seek for fame, but rather for the glory and honor of God. As Paul would say, look not to your own things, but to the things of others. Care about others. And as we sing in our first song today, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Love that song. And then even take a look at the cross itself. How do Christians decide to win with a cross? Wow. That's standing the world upside down, but that's our job. In fact, that was the first accusation leveled against the new church. The people ran before the Sanhedrin, the high court of the land, and said, these people have turned Jerusalem upside down. Timid people don't turn the world upside down. You know, I saw a bumper sticker once, and this won't be an exact quote, but it was something such as, well-behaved women have never changed the world. I liked it. I liked it. The fact is, those of us that sit down, shut up, and do what we're told, don't make any difference in the world. And so Paul's telling Timothy, don't go by the world's rules. Go to a higher standard, one of faith, not sight. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, start, we've read 8 before. We're going to start there and run through 12. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now, hang on. Remember, Paul's in prison under a coming death sentence. And he's saying, come on in can't be timid and do that. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel for the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Now, we need to talk about this a bit. Every generation, every generation is called to take the teaching of Jesus and take it with them into the world until the world is redeemed. And every generation will be challenged and every generation will suffer for this task. Now, I want to be very plain about what I'm about to say. And I don't want to make, leave any impression that I am I'm speaking ill of other congregations, for I'm not. What I'm doing is praising this one. But there are churches you can go to where everybody looks like you and everybody's your age. Whether you're, it's a young church. It's a, it's a church for families with children. It's an old church. Here, you've got them all. 
And I love that. I love that we're an intergenerational church. That you can look about and you can see the babies and you can see the gray heads. And you can see those that are fresh and ready to go and those that are tired and thinking, I would go, but it hurts to stand up. <laughs> and all of us believe we're not done. All of us. We're not a church that says, all right, you old folk, you've done it now. Just sit back and critique the young ones. No, no. We're all at work. Every generation has this challenge. But some will turn away. Some will turn away when the suffering starts. Some will be ashamed of those who suffer. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. And he names a couple there, but just stop. Let that hit you for a minute. Paul, near the end of his life, he has established churches all through Asia, and he says, they've turned away from me. They want nothing to do with me. And he talks about shame, but that he is not ashamed. Now think about this. You can be ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of our stand on things and our shame of, I mean, you, if you want a sit, situation comedy, if you want a good laugh, just call somebody a virgin. And they'll laugh and laugh and laugh. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of our gospel. Don't be ashamed of our faith. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. But there will be those that when they have to suffer, will turn away. Many had dumped Paul. They were ashamed of Paul. And you might think, well, how do, you, how do you get ashamed of Paul? Well, I think it has something to do with people that, you know, you just keep, keep getting in trouble. You're old, doesn't seem to be working out for you, and now you're in a prison and I don't mean, most of our little feet have walked away into the children's church, but please remember, in those days, you were packed into the cells. There was a bucket, if you were lucky, for the bathroom, and it's right there in front of all the eyes. That's what Paul was reduced to. The great man that used to be a lawyer on the Sanhedrin, this is what he was now. It would be easy for people to be ashamed of this. There are many versions of this out on the internet, but the story is told of a church that was looking for a preacher, and they got a resume in the, in the mail. Gentlemen, I'm understanding that your pulpit is vacant. I'd like to apply for the position. I have no Bible school degree. In fact, I've never attended a school for ministers or theologians. I have a law degree, but I don't practice law anymore. I'm single. Um, over 50. I've never preached in one place for more than three years. And in some places I had to leave because my, my work caused riots and disturbances. I will admit I've been in jail three or four times. I don't think I did anything wrong, but my health is not very good. I do get a lot done, and, but the fact is the churches I've worked with are quite small, even though they're located in large cities. I've not gotten along very well with religious leaders in the town where I preached. In fact, it made some so mad that they've threatened me and even attacked me physically. Oh, I'm also not too good at keeping records. I've been known to forget who I baptized. However, if you can use me, I'll do my best. Signed, Paul. This would never have a chance. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't measure things by world eyes. You got your world eyes on. You're going to have to look a different way. What kind of person does God use? You might be sitting back there thinking, you know, I, God can use people like Ashley and Walling and the great speakers of the faith, but he can't use me. Have you paid attention to who God uses? He uses us, the unqualified. One of the first things we have to do is one of the first things Timothy had to do, and that is disengage from the world. And that's so hard to do. But if we've not learned it in 2,000 years, we need to learn it now. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Join with me in suffering. Boy, does he keep bringing that up. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So he's going to try to use different forms of illustration here. If you're a soldier, you don't get involved in civilian affairs. Now, a lot of you, if you've never served, don't know this. Enlisted people are allowed to gripe all they want. In fact, griping is considered that they may be healthy because they're healthy enough to gripe. But an officer is never allowed to criticize the politicians. They're not. Their commission is signed by the president. They can't, uh, no matter what the president says or does, they cannot criticize him. That's, that's a rule. And I do know of a lot of selection boards that decide which enlisted person can go into officer training. Nowadays, they go scour Facebook and everywhere else to see, is this a person that is going to criticize in civilian political affairs? If so, we can't use them. Paul here says, you want to be a good soldier, you have to disengage from the world. Your job now is to take the orders of your commanding officer and do that, whatever it is. What a different set of rules. So Paul will speak other, uh, of other um, illustrations here, farmers, athletes, soldiers, but his point is this, you play by God's rules and you get the prize. No work, no prize. No suffering, no prize. C.S. Lewis calls it an eternal law that pain now is pleasure later, pleasure now is pain later. Uh, for, for example, pleasure now would be to spend your money for fun. Pain is to save it. But if you spend it now, you don't have it later. So pleasure now is pain later. If you save it now, you can go do fun things later. So you have pleasure later. The same with food. You see a box of donuts and you're thinking, that won't last long. People could come into this area. So pleasure is eat it now. The pain comes at the gym or at the heart angioplasty clinic. <laughs> Eating proper food sometimes is not as pleasurable. It's pain now, but it's pleasure later. Paul says, take the pain now to get the prize later. I'm amazed by athletes. I'm looking forward to the uh, Summer Olympics. I enjoy that sort of thing. I've never been involved in sports. I've never been involved in anything like it. I just, I, I admire it. I admire the dedication that they put to this. Nobody just kind of wakes up about now and thinks, you know, I'd like to go to the Olympics. I'm probably good at something. They suffer. My wife has been a figure skater all of her life, and our first dates were me going and watching her figure skate on the ice out in Denver, 
and that's all the money I had was just to go watch, you know, and, and, and you know, say, well done you, you know, and you know, she'd spin around a lot, and I'm thinking, I hope that's on purpose, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the kids that wanted to, however, go to the next level to the Olympics had to leave home. They had to work every day. They tore themselves up. Little Tara Lipinski had a hip replacement when she was, what, 20, 21? Paul saying, get ready to suffer. Here's the problem. We're not ready for it. We have a lot of video game SEALs. You know what I'm talking about? They've never gone through SEAL training. And I'm not talking, ar, ar, I'm talking Navy SEALs here. Um, it's not like trying to balance the ball on your head. No, I, we're, we're talking, Navy SEAL. They've never gone through that training, but they feel like they're just as good because they played video games as one. We have a lot of people that have never sat down to work on how to play the guitar, but think they're fantastic because they can do Guitar Hero. And we have a lot of Christians who have never put it on the line, never trained themselves, never worked hard, never given of all they had, and yet really assume they're winners in the game. And Paul is saying to Timothy, that's not how it works. Paul then cites an exceptionally early Christian creed. Paul was not afraid of creeds, neither were the Bible, uh, neither were the other writers in Scripture. So don't let us not be afraid of creeds. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In other words, there are standards. There are rules. Who are you listening to? Paul says, don't get distracted. He said, by the way, he kills the internet. Paul kills the internet. He really does. He says, don't argue about disputable things. Well, there it goes. Uh, he said, don't judge another. <sighs> you know, he goes on and on. Here he does another one uh, in two places in chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Ow. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, to God as one approved, not to the world, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, underlying this, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Like I said, there goes the internet. Sometimes other young people will write to me, other ones, uh, from, not from our group, but will write to me because they've seen me at a youth rally here, there, the other, and they'll say, I need guidance, what to major in or what job to take or should I marry this person or what should I do for a living? Or... And I refer them to chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, hold up that passage here. That didn't answer what to major in, who to marry, or what to do for a living. And I'll tell him, God's really not that concerned. This is what he's concerned about. Flee evil desires of youth. Now, youth, is Paul picking on you? A little bit. A little bit. And the reason he says the evil desires of youth, he doesn't say only youth have evil desires. Old people have evil desires too. They just don't have the energy. (laughs) You have the energy to follow through. That's, in, in fact... We didn't get a remote-controlled television for years because kids were the channel changers in our family. You know, turn the channel, turn it up, turn it down. Uh, The people in the chairs, by the time they hit the chairs, don't have the energy to do much with the evil desires except let it percolate up here. So that's why he seems to be picking on you. This is what you pursue. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But then he warns Timothy, like we have to warn the youth, but also the old and everybody in between, You need to do all of this in community, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You don't do this on your own. And those people that say they love Jesus but not the church don't know Jesus because the church is his bride and he loves it. And he says, stay with the group. Timothy's also warned that while we love everyone, we don't hang out or walk alongside everybody. Just like in Psalm 1, you don't walk that path. Here it's in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Well, yeah. Lovers of money. Uh Uh-huh. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now that having a form of godliness, I've got to warn the teens again, sorry. But that's not about warning you. It's uh, about you. It's warning you about us. You have to do that pursuing righteousness thing in community But in the community, you will find people in the church who have a form of godliness but deny its power, and they act like this. Don't be surprised. Where else do you want them to be but in church? Maybe something will rub off on them one day. But don't be shocked when Christians mistreat you because there are always going to be people like this. He says, don't be one of them. And you don't have anything to do with those people. He says doing this will cause you to suffer in the in same chapter, verse 12. He says this will make you suffer, Timothy. But then he begins to wrap it all up. Here is Paul, old, hurting. He had serious health issues. Cold. We know he's cold because he was calling if somebody could please bring him a cloak. Lonely. Watching a great deal of his life's work disappear as those in Asia turn away from him. And he's writing to young Timothy, who he loves as a son. What's he going to say to his son? What's final advice? What do you say to, you, to a young man like this? When your life has brought you to this prison cell, what do you say to the young man? He says this, 
in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Wait a minute, Paul, look where it puts you. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. In other words, even when it's not popular, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That means sacrificed. He's being sacrificed. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. What an amazing charge to say, you do what brought me to this cell, and you will receive what I am about to receive, the crown. It's a humbling moment, is it not? I was watching a little bit of the Master's in my hotel room in Oklahoma because I'd seen the sights in Tulsa. The, the tree was lovely. Um, the, uh, there's an amateur right there with all the pros, De, Bo De Beauchamp, uh, just right there with him. And he's doing well. And he was number two for a long time. But he hooked a drive, and then he hooked a second, and yeah, I'm not going to do the golf stories. I know how dead boring they are. The point is, he lost a lot of ground, but he's still in the game. And amateurs don't win, not, not since the, the early days of the Masters. That just doesn't happen. But he's still doing well. And yet, when he hooked two in a row and was taking all those penalties, whereas many guys would be throwing their clubs and cursing, they had to turn off the mics, this young man just walked peacefully. One of the commentators said he had asked him earlier, how will you do if you win? What will it be like if you don't win? And the young man turned to him and said, I am saved by grace. Nothing that happens to me will harm me. I am saved by grace. All of a sudden, I became a fan of the young man. He's got it. We're not afraid of winning or losing the world's games. We are not timid. Mark, I'm going to step on down and you can come up to lead us in that last song. Would you please stand with me? I'd like for us to look at Matthew chapter 6. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? about the flower, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. Remember, God is in charge. Be strong. Refuse timidity. Stand up 
flee from unrighteousness. Warn the wicked, but do that with grace and love. And God will take care of everything else, giving you what you truly need. It will look strange to the world. It always has. But nations rise and fall. Kingdoms slide into oblivion, and we are still here. If you choose to stand with God, he will stand with you and sustain you now and forever. We call that a when. May God bless.